The following episode of the 9pm Edict isn't. No, it is not. This is an episode of Vertical Hold Behind the Tech News, which, and I now quote from their website, dives into the big stories of the week. Joined by Australia's leading tech journalists every Friday, co-hosts Adam Turner and Alex Kidman channel surf through the headlines in search of the big picture. Well, hello, I'm Stilgarian, and this week I was that quote, leading tech journalist, unquote, très amusant, as the French would say. We spoke about, um, look, I'll let them explain. This episode of Vertical Hold was posted on Friday the 10th of December, 2021. Enjoy. Is Australia ready to embrace an official digital currency? And how is the government cracking down on crypto and buy now, pay later payment systems? Vertical Hold is proudly brought to you by Aussie Broadband, changing the game with their award-winning network and Australian-based support. Hi there, welcome back to Vertical Hold Behind the Tech News, the tech podcast where we catch up with Australia's leading tech journalists to dive into the big stories of the week. I'm Alex Kidman and I'm joined as usual by Adam Turner, a fintech whiz who loves to buy low and sell high. Adam, How's that stock portfolio in Palm, Blockbuster and Kodak looking these days? Oh, mate, I, I bought on the dip, all right? About 10 years ago, I bought on the dip and I'm playing the long game. They're going to come back and I'll be raking it in any day now, any day now. Look, I'm still willing to bet that my collection of vintage cute cats is going to pay out before your shares <laughs> do, but we'll see, we'll see. We're also joined in the virtual Vertical Hold studios by ZD.AU cybersecurity correspondent Stilgarian. Still, welcome back to the show. Thank you for inviting me. You're more than welcome. What would be your weirdest investment that you've ever made in anything? I mean, not cocaine, because that's not weird, right? Well, you don't buy oh. cocaine, you rent it. <laughs> Effectively. <laughs> um, probably... An original laser writer printer from Apple in 1985, which had a list price then of $10,000, and I just received a legal settlement which would amply cover that, and I got a discount price for $7,700 in $1985. And how um, much is that laser writer worth now? Uh well, it's more about how much you have to pay to get it put into landfill. <laughs> that could be a problem, yes. Yes. This week, we're diving back into the world of tech and finance. We're still taking us through the moves by the government to crack down on cowboys in areas like cryptocurrencies and buy now, pay later systems. But first, this week, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg floated the idea of embracing a central bank digital currency. Still, why do I inwardly shudder at the words <laughs> central bank digital currency? Mostly because the whole concept is largely pointless. Uh, we already have a central bank currency in Australia. It's called the dollar. And I we think can I've heard already. Of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And occasionally I have one or two of them. And you can already transact in it digitally. 
in many different ways, some of them involving banks, some of them with your own money and others on credit, uh, and some of them without any banks involved at all. So what's the use case? And I think a lot of it is so that the treasurer can just say, we have a, a national digital currency. And the people who don't know about digital currencies can go, oh, here's an Australian one. I'll, I'll have that. We must be doing well if we've got one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you're not alone there because the Reserve Bank has not shown a lot of interest in it because they said the same sort of thing. Um, We've got a lot of other ways to do things. And that's what I'm trying to get my head around. What if like my money's already digital, isn't it? I get paid by people and then that money goes to buy groceries. It never passes through my hands. So what's the difference between what we have now, digital ways of doing transactions and an actual central bank digital currency? There's a, there's a few different ones. Uh, one is that if it's a central bank currency, as opposed to all the other pretend currencies like dodgy coin or whatever they all, you know, yeah. rip-off merchant coin, etc. Um, then you have some sort of legislated support system, right? The dollar's not going to suddenly disappear, and so a digital dollar won't disappear either, whereas, you know, the latest flavour of crypto coin could all just be... I mean, they might be a scam. So there's that. There's also who gets to monitor it, and there's two reasons for that. One is so that you pay the correct amount of tax on your transactions. I thought because, that might have something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> because if I uh, buy a large quantity of the aforementioned cocaines uh, with, with a bunch of green $100 notes, there's no record of that transaction for GST purposes or at the other end for taxation purposes, right? So uh, most governments are broadly trying to track as much of the cash economy as they can, and with technology, that gets cheaper and easier all the time. So there's that. And the second part is uh, looking out for dodgy transactions, criminal transactions. Uh, we have in Australia a thing called Austrac, which is uh, a criminal intelligence organisation trying to piece together the money trail. And, and they're putting more and more of their effort into tracing transactions into cryptocurrencies and so on. It'd be much easier if they just had their own currency to track. But we're still talking about uh, it would still be the equivalent worth of a physical dollar, the same value. It's not like Bitcoin where it's going to fluctuate and go up and down. It's basically just a digital version of a $1 coin. Yeah, pretty much. Presumably the Oz e-dollar. Yes. <sighs> oh, Quick, get God. out and patent that one quickly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but look, in, in theory, you should be able to do cash without going through a bank. I mean, that's one of the features of cash at the moment. 100% of the transaction goes through. No one's taking their percentage along the way. Uh, but the Reserve Bank doesn't want to set up such a system because it would cost them a fortune. Uh, and the banks already do it. Well, you can argue about whether the fees are moderate or not, but they already compete on fees. And through the magic of the market, uh, we have a perfect world. So why change it? This brings us into one of the other things Frydenberg was talking about, I guess, which is this broader idea of crypto regulation, because he's not just talking a regulated e-dollar, he's also talking a, um, a, a wider regulatory framework on 
cryptocurrencies generally. But do we have a lot of detail on what he means when he says regulation here? No. Uh, and in fact, uh, really what he's announced is a plan to look at getting a plan to develop some regulation. And I very deliberately put that in direction in there. Uh, look, this all comes out of a, a massive inquiry done by Treasury, and the government responded to it this week with a, a fascinating document called Transforming Australia's Payment System, where they go through all the recommendations of this inquiry, and it, they use the magic language of, of governments when responding to reports. They either agree with a recommendation, which means they might do something about it. They either agree in principle with a recommendation, which means they might do something about it, but probably not, and or they note a recommendation, which just means they read that paragraph and are aware of it, but they won't be doing anything about it, probably. And what do we mostly see from this report? We see essentially a broad plan uh, to have a plan. I know that sounds no, silly. Sorry, I mean, but... what did they did they note most of it, or did they note that they noted it? Like, are, are they paying attention? Or are what we did just it recommend? Into, into a yes, ah. prime minister sketch here. Yeah, what did it recommend, and now are they likely to actually do any of it? Much of it is agreed to. Certainly, uh, to 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 put consumers and businesses at the centre of policy design and implementation. They go, yep, we'll do that because it's a. It's a meaningless statement. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel better already. They've yeah. changed the world with that one. Yeah, yeah, the government will be the leader of this whole process. You know, yeah, sure. We will put together a strategic plan for the entire payments ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when you get to this, um, all of this stuff about uh, cryptocurrency regulation, they've agreed in principle to have some sort of of oversight regulation of cryptocurrency exchanges. And that will probably involve changing the law so that it, it explicitly includes these things as financial institutions of a certain kind. Uh, and, and the rest of it in principle is stuff like they will do a token mapping. They will look at the kinds of tokens out there on the market and create a a classification of them, a taxonomy, if you will. And there's a gag in there about tax and taxonomy, which I can't be bothered working it out. That's left as a, an exercise for the listener. And they want to, I like this one. So decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, the kind of uh, libertarian non-structured structure that uh, some cryptocurrencies operate on. There is a recommendation to establish that as a kind of company structure, which to me is completely antithetical to the whole concept. So a company structure with no structure built around the thing that deliberately has no structure. I was going to say, like, I it's think it's a democratic a... way of being non-democratic. Yeah. Yeah. And more yeah. importantly, uh, it's, it's a structure that was designed specifically to avoid regulation, which will now be regulated. <laughs> so, so in a sense, if that's how it's going to work, why would anyone create one? Because it, it is, as I say, antithetical to the whole point of it all. But that's, that's there. But there is, uh, if, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrency exchanges in particular, because that's where the money changes hands to bring that within the financial services regulation so they do have all of that oversight i mean it's a 
I mean, I would argue it's a worthy goal because we've seen the problems with unregulated cryptocurrency exchanges. They just magically disappear. One of them, at least, has even just replaced its existence with a sign saying, hello, we were a scam. We have just taken all your money. Well, at least um, they're honest and upfront about it. At least they're honest, 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 honest yeah. On, yeah. on the sign. It, it, those pixels don't come cheap. Yeah. So, so that's a good thing. And in terms of monitoring it uh, for criminal transactions and tax purposes and whatever, that's a thing. There's, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff related to oversight and investigation and so on. But, but really all Josh Frydenberg has said is that by mid-2022, i.e. by just after the forthcoming federal election... When he may be sitting on the other side of the room... Or not even in the room at all. Or not even in because the room at might, all, yeah. Well, if I were him and I got voted out resoundingly, which is a possibility, I, I very much might decide to go and do something else, such as become a consultant for a large financial services organisation on a salary vastly in excess of what he could possibly earn as treasurer. For example. For example. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> yes. Citing uh, a lot of precedents. By mid-2022, as we say, after the election, they will have completed a consultation on the establishment of a licensing framework. Now, completing a consultation does not mean there is any legislation yet. You've got to do the consultation first and then have a think about how you'll enshrine that in law. And they have said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do all that broadly by the end of 2022. Now, two, two comments here. Currently, the betting market says they won't be in government anyway. Uh, but the other point is, if you reckon you can get that kind of co um, consultation through in with all of the other business of government in that time, that's an awful lot of that cocaine of which we previously spoke you're going to need for those sleepless nights. You might have to put the legislation on the blockchain to get it to compute through properly, right? <laughs> yeah, because that'll definitely speed things up. Uh, yeah, it's look, it's it's and all of those things are kind of you know probables, whatever, and that's fine. But we also saw how the banking industry royal commission recommended a whole range of things, most of which didn't happen, or happened and then got chucked out with COVID. Like, yeah. oh, we should actually not lend people more money than we can afford. Oh, no, we'll get rid of that. Bastards. Exactly. Um, I so, know enough about fintech to be dangerous. And one of the, uh -huh. the things that I know is that if I want to set up to be a bank or what they would call an authorized deposit-taking institution, there's a whole lot of regulations that I need to meet. There's things about anti-money laundering uh -huh. and knowing your customer and counter terrorism financing. But then there's all this other stuff like making sure there's enough money there so there's not a run on the bank if people want their money out, stuff like that. The, if I want to set up a cryptocurrency exchange, I don't face some of those regulations at the moment. Do I? There's the minimal stuff about money laundering and know your customer. Like I can't set up an account with an Australian exchange without handing over my driver's license and stuff like that. Yeah. But they don't face and is that what they want what are the kind of regulations that they don't face at the moment that i would if i wanted to open one of them i wouldn't face but if i wanted to open a bank i would well 
Um, you've mentioned one of them, know, what, know your customer, KYC. That means, yeah. yeah, you actually have to know who your customer is, 100 points of ID in the Australian setting and so on. That's the thing set by treaties worldwide. And it means that I as a customer have to do that with PayPal, with Apple Pay, with, with whoever. That's yeah. a thing. Um, AML, anti-money laundering legislation, and CTF, counter-terrorism financing rules. That's basically that every transaction over a certain limit has to be reported to the authorities. In Australia, that's to Austrac. So if I basically transfer $5,000 to you, the criminal intelligence organisations know about that. Now, whether the currency exchanges are doing that or not depends on whether they want to be licensed in Australia. Certainly those that have crypto ATMs would have to do that because they've they're physically transacting Australian dollars. But if it's an exchange internationally, which may or may not know whether its customers are Australian because it's operating out of a random small country somewhere whose, <laughs> whose I was about Tax to say... laws are rather favourable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was about to say countries who whose main exports are, are bird guano and financial services. <laughs> um, but that's picking on a, a, a small country... Uh, for whom that is a fact, and I don't, I don't want to defame them. They may be operating entirely legally, so that's a thing you'd, they'd have to do. And many customers uh, transacting in cryptocurrency would prefer their transactions not to be notified to uh, criminal intelligence organisations for some reason. And then, yes, the deposit. If you've got a cryptocurrency exchange, or rather a wallet company as well, so you haven't gone to the trouble of having your own digital wallet on your own external hard drive that you then lose the password to, um, you are relying on some company to hold your money. That's a deposit. So yes, they, like the banks, have to have enough assets to cover the loans they're, they're putting out. Now, we have had cryptocurrency uh, operators who have kind of you deposit with them, they've then used the money themselves for something or loaned it out. And then when you come to withdraw the money, there's a million excuses to why you can't withdraw that money right now, mostly because it isn't there. That's something that they would have to do. So from a customer point of view, and this I found amazing, apparently there's about 2 million Australians, um, roughly about 20% of the adults, have cryptocurrency assets of some sort. Mm. I, I did not realise it was, it was quite that high. Um, from a customer uh, service, a, a consumer rights point of view, these are all very sensible things to have. But that also adds to the cost of a cryptocurrency transaction, which in some cases today are not exactly cheap unless you're transacting large sums of money, the minimum transaction cost, which is sort of a rainforest the size of Ecuador, um, is is going to be inefficient. I, don't, I mean, one of the comments that I've, I've hit about that whole kind of 20% of, uh, of, of adults holding cryptocurrency uh, is that it's a result of the fact that, for example, for traditional banks, Interest rates are so low that a lot of people don't see it as much of an investment, whereas crypto is getting you know all the headlines as yeah this is how you're going to make your millions and people are kind of nervous about property and other more traditional investment forms. 
That's right. I mean, we're at a point now where the property market is, well, they say the bubble might burst soon. They've been saying that for 20 years. Um, and, and the government will not let that happen simply because they've been there telling people for the last 20 years that investing in real estate and having five rental properties is the way to uh, to take care of your retirement because we're certainly not going to give you a pension that, that is much above the poverty line. Um, that's the issue, though. That's And I can see why cryptocurrencies would be quite attractive, particularly when the boosters are out there saying, well, I made 78% on it just this month. So it looks good. But then I suppose in the 1980s, investing in ostrich farms looked good too, or, or pine forest futures. That was another one. And without regulation, without the backup, that's essentially what you're looking at here. But that happens in traditional stock exchange. There's still dodgy stocks that go up and down and people pump and dump and all that kind sure. of stuff. So, um, and yet what's that's meant to be regulated as well, yeah, exactly. right? So, yeah, that's meant to be regulated. Yeah, but there are scammers everywhere. And unfortunately, without the kind of regulation that can actually be enforced, the scam level is clearly going to be higher in any environment than in one that is more tightly regulated, he says cautiously. And I would have, I would have said the difference with the stock market, and you're not wrong, there are scammers, absolutely, 100%. The difference is, in theory, for a lot of stocks, you are investing in a business, in a physical product, in a thing that exists, whereas your you know, your your dodgy coin is a mathematical concept at the end of the day. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and the boosters will say, well, see, it's mathematical. It can't fail. And, okay, yeah, the bankruptcy courts also use mathematics as well. Um, Numbers can go down as well as up. They yeah. can. <laughs> and if you look at the sort of forum messages around people say but they told me it would always go up you know in, in value and it would yeah would well, you like to yeah. buy a bridge while you're at it and yeah. some beanie babies perhaps yes yeah it, it is the same thing and and at this point i'm reminded of of one of the the financial uh heads he wasn't the government minister but someone else who was heavy up in financial regulation in the netherlands uh, who, of course, had the, uh, this is a compulsory mention, of course, the great tulip boom of Drink. Uh, the I've 1600s. I've been waiting for the tulip Yay, mention. Waiting, yeah. waiting for tulips. <laughs> um, there's a couple of things there. One is that this guy said, yeah, even though when tulips were suddenly sell, you know, exotic tulips for 4,000 florins for a single flower to breed that. Now, to put that in context, four cows would cost you maybe 200 florins. You know, or whatever, mm. uh, but the 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 Dutch uh, official said, at least in the tulip boom, you still had a tulip <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at the end of it. Um, but we also saw scams, and, and this one may not be true, but it's certainly a legend that happened that the the goal was developed to breed a black tulip, a black flower, and someone did, and and people turned up as his doorstep and offered. More and more money. And this is where the 4,000 florins comes from, from this story. And eventually he said, all right, I'll sell it for 4,000 florins. At which point they reached over, grabbed the pot, smashed it on the floor and crushed the black tulip. He said, what did you, what did you do that for? And they said, because now we have the only black tulip, the one we bred. So <laughs> <laughs> um, at least they had a tulip, right? Mm. 
So the way I see it is that Bitcoin gives cryptocurrency a bad name. Yeah, because well, I, yes. I don't see how cryptocurrencies are ever going to go mainstream and be used for anything useful when you've got your volatile currencies making it useless for anything but, you know, pump and dump schemes and, you know, trying to make money. How do, I know, and I know there's a lot of different kind of cryptocurrencies, and I know, I know that it's wrong to look at every, put everything in the crypto in the Bitcoin basket. But when are we going to get to the point where those other ones are actually useful, and what are they going to be used for? The thing that I always think about here when I'm looking at that is why do you want it to be decentralized? Like if that, that is like one of the most inefficient ways to build a database in the universe. Mm. If, if you want to keep a blockchain, which is basically a particular kind of Merkle chain, a ledger that can't, you can't go back and alter, why spread it over half the universe so it takes 10 minutes for a transaction to settle? Now, Bitcoin was the first design of all of this, and things have become more efficient later. Uh, and I know, oh, you're going to get so much hate mail for this episode. Um, but there really is no valid reason not to just use a normal database for this stuff like banks use and credit card companies use. You, you are adding on top this vastly inefficient mechanism, which doesn't actually give you any benefit. Um, Except you get away from the banks and all that stuff. And they seem to think that seems to be the point for some people. It's, it's almost like a, a freedom thing. Well, it is. And, and you know, that whole libertarian idea, mm. the crypto libertarian idea that that somehow mathematics and cryptography will make us independent from government. Yeah. I mean, that's... I'm a sovereign consumer. <laughs> oh. I'm not sure we want those listeners. Let's yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, sure. So who do you go to when someone makes off with all your money? The crypto police, mm. the crypto rig. I mean, that's what. And even the the boosters themselves suddenly start calling out for help when something bad happens. If it's not got some sort of regulatory structure around it. Here, I will now hand my life savings to, well, well I, don't, I don't know, really. I, I don't know how this works. I don't know who they are. But I'll assume it'll come back. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Well, the other side of the tech space that Freudberg talked about was regulation of payment systems like Buy Now, Pay Later, and Apple Pay, and things like that. Um. Do we know, I mean, again, is this still just more in the announcements of announcements space or are they, because those are more established. I mean, those are certainly more regulated, I would have thought. They should be. I mean, the buy now, pay later thing is interesting because they are, in effect, offering a short-term loan, but the way they structure it is that they're kind of paying the businesses themselves up front and then extracting the money from the customer later. So they're kind of making a loan to the, the seller so the customer is, doesn't actually have a kind of credit relationship. Well, so that is their apparent claim. Now, I look at it and think, are you 
are you really that? Is that what is going on here? Um, they've certainly managed to infiltrate themselves uh, into the payment pipeline process so that it's right there in the checkout. And, and I find that interesting that even when I was looking to buy like a $40 bag of bird seed, a big bag of bird seed the other day, um, it said, do you want to do you want to pay that over four months or four weeks or whatever? <laughs> what, $10? I mean, no, I just want to get this out of the way. But for some people, that's certainly going to be attractive. And looking at that stuff is again part of this grand plan to to look at this and and i think when you look at the kind of amount of money that's going through these buy now pay later operators it's becoming rather a lot and of course the people who use these services are at the uh, the most vulnerable end of the world financially and they don't have the same protections because technically these buy now pay later people claim that they're not credit providers right if i was yeah. A bank or a credit card provider offering the same, I can't say the same service, but the same outcome of I'll pay for it now and then you owe me some money, I would face more regulation than what these services do, wouldn't I? That's right. And because, there'd be more safeguards. Yeah, because they, the credit card companies, are giving you the money, which you're then paying to the seller yeah. immediately. So you've just been loaned that money there. In the case of these services, they're paying the seller. But the outcome's the and same, though. You I'm late. still in debt, though, right? Yeah. But As the buyer, I'm in debt, and I can get in more debt than I can afford to get in, and that's what the, the regulations are supposed to protect me from, yes? Yeah. Um, I am not a lawyer, but, but yes, this broad... <laughs> that should be the name of our podcast yeah. right there. Vertical <laughs> hold, I'm not a lawyer. Not a lawyer. <laughs> we get that a lot. Broadly speaking, that's all the argument, right? They say they're not providing credit to a consumer and and other people with other lawyers will say, <laughs> yes, you are. And the government's essentially saying, yeah, we'll just take a look at that. Thank you very much. Because we get to decide what the law is, broadly speaking, if they get we, around to it. Yeah, we are the wrong age bracket for this stuff. The, the, the typical Afterpay customer is, no offence to either of the two gentlemen on this podcast at the moment, Quite a bit younger oh. than, than than any of us, typically speaking. <laughs> yeah, screw yeah. you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm 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 fine with that. If if you're happy for me to be down in the same age group as you guys, I'm 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 fine with that. Everybody wins. Um, but there's you're a, right. There's, it's aimed at young people who don't know any better, which makes it even worse. Yeah. Well, I don't know that they don't know any better, but they see it as an easy, convenience thing, and it shifts away it does as you said it sells itself on this idea that oh no this isn't a credit card you're not going to get these monthly credit payments and, and you don't pay it. interest on it mm. right but uh, well but, you pay late fees and the thing is i know i, I mean <laughs> what is this, this is totally yeah this is totally <laughs> anecdotal but i know people who would do your 40 dollar bag of a bird seed sell they would say yeah. oh yeah i've done that and i've done that and i've done just, that and i just realized $40 bag of bird seed is suddenly sounding like a euphemism. <laughs> I was wondering if it was. I've, I've, I've got a friend who will do you a $40 bag of bird seed. No, no, no. This is white powdery bird seed by any chance? I mean, this no, stuff's no. $40 and it's good, but this stuff's $50. <laughs> so, you, know, you put it up against the Amsterdam bird seed, right? Um, uh, there, are, there are wild birds on this property here in the Blue Mountains, and I feed them occasionally. Who have needs. The other more broadly applicable thing, though, 
was um, some more regulation around services like Apple Pay. And one of the stats that actually came out this week, which I thought was really interesting, was around half of Australians use their mobile phone to make payments. And that's your Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay kind of stuff. This isn't small stakes. This is quite regular every day. Everyone, it's certainly, actually, it's predominantly how I pay for stuff these days. Um, what kind of regulation do we need there? I'm not sure that we need a lot more than what we already have. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Do not take this as financial advice, etc., etc. But Apple has done deals, to pick Apple as an example, mm. let's say, and that all the others, Google, Samsung, PayPal, Venmo, mm. all the others. Um, they have an arrangement with the bank who actually has your money. So what they're really providing is a network front end onto your credit card or debit card or whatever. So they're really acting just as your agent in the middle and taking uh, a fee for that, um, which they've negotiated with the banks. They're taking a split of it. That means the banks then don't have to have their own network of payment stuff. Which but they'd, they rather, they'd rather do that. I mean, we went through this years ago. With, yes, I think it was Commonwealth Bank hated Apple and really tried fought hard, legally speaking, to yes. try and get access to the NFC functions of an iPhone and failed in the end. They did, because eventually Apple just said, well, stuff yous then. And, <laughs> you know, and, you know and, and all right, um, people with an iPhone won't be able to use ComBank directly. Is it going out Pay. on a limb to say that these, these regulations are less about protecting us, the consumer, and more about protecting the banks from Apple? Heaven forbid! <laughs> yes, of course they are. The, I'm the getting the hang of yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah, the yeah. Hang uh, Let's face it. This is the. I mean, this is the entire economy is financial transactions, and everyone wants to get their finger into it and mm. have their percentage. And the people in the chain are the banks. Then there's the credit card companies, uh, and and in the same way, Mastercard or Visa card aren't kind of lending you money. The bank is lending you money. They're just providing the payment card system uh, and, and have a deal with the bank over who gets what fee. Apple doing the same um, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, trying to make this into being less of a mess is important. Um, but really... Uh, you know, you're you're as a consumer, you're quite well protected if it's these big companies who are very visible doing it because the government can notice them. Where you're um, more at risk is simply going to be the the new operators, the smaller operators, the agile operators, um, which is a synonym for slippery in a way, isn't it? And and others that and, and if the government hasn't got them on its radar, it it isn't doing things. So really, again, to roll back, this entire package of proposals is about putting these things on the radar. Dare I say it, levelling the playing field. So some countries have actually gone further, and is it El Salvador or someone made Bitcoin an official currency? <sighs> Idiots. Yes, they did. I think you just um, answered my question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. You mentioned the volatility before. There's actually a number came up that, that Frydenberg uh, cited the other day. The, the, the kind of variation over 
even seven days of something like Bitcoin is around 9%. Now, if you run a shop, like if you're a supermarket, something like the big volume supermarkets, their margins are only about 5 or 7%. So why on earth would they take a currency that's, that's, that's volatile? They, they, their prices are going to have to change every day to remain profitable. And if, if we, we're counting points for a drink, that's like the hyperinflation in Nazi Germany or pre-Nazi Germany. <laughs> oh, there, well, there, go, there goes Godwin's law. But uh, look, I, I, I desperately <laughs> wanted to mention El Salvador anyway because of the current effective bond villain crypto scheme they've got going there. Stilgarian, would you build a business at the base of a volcano because it was called Bitcoin City? Oh, oh, gee, that, that's a, I mean, Bitcoin City, that's a, that's a thing. I mean, and it was is it? I mean, I'm not making this one up. No, 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 I, I know it's fabulous. And, and look, the main problem with the Bitcoin type structures in Ethereum and others that rely on proof of work means that you've got an awful lot of computing power to, to make it all happen, which means you need an awful lot of electricity. And uh, volcanoes, yeah, you can get a lot of steam turbines running off. Uh, it, it is really attractive. And if I had money to burn, see what I did there, to invest, it would be tempting as a short-term investment. This is not investment advice. Um, volcanoes, volcanoes, they have a reputation, don't they? There's, look, there's, there's a Bond villain somewhere in this. Like, hey, you, you, you buy oh, a business and someone... Yeah, exactly. exactly. Satoshi, yeah, Satoshi is the Bond villain. Well, there is, in fact, a thing called a volcano shark, but that's a completely different species again. Wow. All right, so let me throw <laughs> one more thing at you just to get right out there. Uh -oh. The crypto seems to be the classic solution looking for a problem. Absolutely. And it looks like the problem might be the metaverse, which in itself is the classic solution looking for Are a we problem. We're looking for points to, like, to skull drinks here. You I just think said we metaverse. Are. Jeez. But is, is crypto where the meta, and the metaverse is basically think Ready Player One, think Snow Crash, think whatever you want to think about people in VR headsets saying chow to each other in virtual worlds. Um, is that where these kind of virtual cryptocurrency things will actually make the most sense? <sighs> or do the crypto bros well, just think it will? Yeah. <laughs> uh, very much the latter. We're seeing uh, the gaming industry in many ways um, trying to sell tokens to the game. I mean, it's kind, of like, it, it's kind of like trading baseball cards, except you don't have a card. Mm. You know, it, it's... And, and in the metaverse, let me, let me guess, it's the same... Thing. It's you will somehow own this particular kind of gorilla-faced avatar with the pink toenails um, because you've handed them money in some sort. I oh, don't forget Except to throw NFTs blockchain. into the mix. Well, yeah, well, well that, uh, that's the pink toenails. The green toenail one—that's a different gorilla. I, I, I think this whole conversation went downhill as soon as any of us mentioned metaverse. <laughs> And, and I'd, I'd like to now stop talking. <laughs> well, that just about wraps up another episode of Vertical Hold. Thanks to Still for joining us for this week's show. Pleasure. Anytime. And, of course, now it's time for you to face the Vertical Hold three questions of doom. No Bitcoin volcanoes involved.
Oh, I'd forgotten about this bit. So I'm going to ask you three questions in a row. Then you can answer them. Some people get these instructions wrong. But you can answer them in any order you like. Where can people find your work online? Where can they find your social media online? And our big contentious question at the moment, as we discussed for the past couple of weeks, rats have recently been trained by scientists to play the classic video game Doom in VR. What video game should rats be trained to play next? Okay, uh, easy bit first. Uh, Stilgarian is the name. That's where I am on all the social medias. You can find me at stilgarian.com, which has links out to other things, or look for a podcast called The 9pm Edict on your favourite podcast app. Now, what do we want the Doom Rats doing next? Ooh. Aces of the deep, underwater rats in U-boats. Nice. Military rats. Mm. If we can teach the rats to operate submarines, then the Royal Australian Navy is going to be able to take advantage of that when we get the new submarines. And as always, you can catch us online at Vertical Hold AU on Twitter, via the Vertical Hold Facebook page, or at verticalhold.com.au. And once again, thanks everyone for tuning in. Like we said, we're not a doctor, we're not a lawyer, we won't be held we're not responsible. An we're not either. an investment podcast. We might. Well, I'm pushing for us to become a supply chain podcast, but still no luck on that one. <laughs> Don't forget to tell your friends about us. Leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice and help us spread the good word. Vertical Hold is proudly brought to you by Aussie Broadband, changing the game with their award-winning network and Australian-based support. Hey there. Welcome back to Vertical Hold behind no, the tech no, news, and no, it's not my stop, line. Stop, I realised as soon as I said hey there. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> ah, let's try I'm this feeling again. enthusiastic for a chat. You were. You were. Let, let's keep the energy going. All yeah. good. All good. Oh, gee. Uh, and just before I go, uh, do check out the other episodes, that's the fifth time I've been on Vertical Holds, so uh, you, you can search for me. Uh, give, give, give them a listen uh, and perhaps go back in time to the episode of The Edict with David Gerard, where we spoke at length about cryptocurrencies and blockchain plans and so on. Also remember... Uh, that the 9pm Edict is supported by you, the generous listener. If you feel the urge, please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip and do the needful. That's the 9pmedict.com slash tip. Or just tell your friends. Get them to do it. Until next time, I'm Stilgarian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.